Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. I'm Aid, and this is show number 27 which means actually we're into the second half of our first year of recording. Uh, with me as always as you have come to expect is my good buddy Graham. How you doing buddy? I'm doing very well thank you Aid. Yeah it's been a, a fun week. I've actually got a chance to get out with a camera a bit this week and get in the darkroom so it's been pretty epic as far as my activities go. And judging by the way you know, you're, you're sounding happy about being in the darkroom I'm guessing it was a little bit more successful than some of the stuff we were talking about last week. Well what I've actually done this particular week, um, I got to make a print. A, a friend of mine um, was leaving his job at the local garden centre where I tend to go to. And as a um, gift for him, I made a print of a picture I took ages ago. So that's what I actually got in the darkroom to do. But what I'd like to talk about is something which I've been putting off talking about for a couple of weeks because we've been busy having awesome guests on. And that was my developing of my first two roles of the Kodak Vision film. Um, ah, then you may remember uh, this is the stuff that I bought back in the summer from Nick and Trick Photography Services. And the Kodak Vision film is a cine film, which they buy in bulk and then they roll onto reels. And I bought some of the Kodak Vision 50D, which is a 50 daylight balance film, and the 250D, which unsurprisingly is a 250 speed daylight balance film. And I've been very slowly shooting those over the last uh, six months at this point. Um, a lot of the pictures were taken on my holidays and I finally finished them both up. I thought, great, now I can just get them done. Um, and this was my first experience of dealing with the Remjet and my first experience of seeing what the results have been like. Um, and yeah, it's <laughs> the Remjet was an experience to deal with, that's for sure. <laughs> so all that stuff that you and Dave were talking back in the in the summer about, oh yeah, it's easy, yeah, there's no fun, no worries, no worries. Uh, is that true? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's certainly one of the things that I had perhaps been convinced was very easy to deal with um i listened to the guys over at the film photography podcast talk about the um kodak vision film quite a lot because they sell it through there and dealing with the ramjet and it, it is always oh yes yeah, it's, it's no problem it's no big deal um my experience is i mean i'm pretty cat-handed with these things so maybe it's entirely my fault but for one thing I made quite a mess with it. I was developing this film <laughs> in my partner's kitchen. And once I started wiping this stuff off, this thick black ooze just ended up getting splattered all around the kitchen. And the other thing is I did quite a poor job of getting it off evenly. So I've shared a few of the photos, um, I think so far primarily from the 250D on the Instagram feed. And for every picture that I've shared, somebody has gone, Ah, oh, what, what's given it that sort of slightly streaky tone in the background? What have we done with that? And <laughs> the answer to that question is I've been very bad at removing the remjet from the film. Um, so I really tried to get it all off, but yeah, that that didn't work terribly well. Um, and it's been interesting to see the, the results of the two films. Um, I have to say, at first blush, just when I was looking at the negatives hanging up, the 250d results the negatives from that they just looked so much more contrasty and punchy straight away and out of the two films i think that's my preferred one i i really like 
the look of that. It could just be, as always, with the pictures I've taken with them. Maybe I just prefer the pictures on that. But um, that's the picture I took of you uh, in London was taken with that film. Oh, right, was it? I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, that was with the Vision film. So that's why that's got that lovely texturing on there. Um, the vision of me lurking in the flower bed, the selfie of me, <laughs> that's taken with that one. Um, the 50D, I think it suffered slightly from the fact that the Remjet came off worse off that one than it did off the 250D. I do really like the colours in it. The weird thing with the 50 is it's got sprocket marks over the film um, in random places, and I cannot for the life of me work out how this has happened. That's a bit Uh, odd, yeah. Yeah, I would... I've just put a picture up on Flickr now and I will share these um, on Instagram and I'm going to put a thread up on the forum as well. So anybody who's got advice on this can chip in. But yeah, they, these, um, I don't know whether you can see actually Aid on the picture that I've got on my Flickr feed now, the most recent one of my son there, you can see these sprocket marks right in the middle of the picture, um, just by his head. And they weren't all in the same place on the film sometimes they were close to the edge that one they are particularly central um but i i just have no idea what's caused them that was shot in my canon eos 30 which is my most modern and i would imagine most bulletproof camera in that sense um so that's not going to have been shifting things around in there it was spooled straight from the reel onto the um Oh, straight from the cassette onto the film reel. Um, I didn't even I didn't even pull it out of the reel first, so it's literally wound straight from one onto the other, and didn't come off there. And I think it must have loaded evenly because the development was even with it. So I developed these at home in my Fuji Hunt kit, um, and yet there are these sprocket hole marks. Um, so that's a real mystery. I got in touch with Nick and Trick. Uh, photography and said have you got any idea what's caused this um and as i expected they said well no we we roll it straight from a bulk roll into the canisters there's no room for error there either and uh, as somebody who's got bulk film holders myself i understand how the process works so i can't imagine how that could get twisted in there um but yeah it's a real mystery um so if anybody has can have a look at these and give me some opinions as to what's caused this, I would be really pleased to hear. And there are a few other random marks on there as well. There's, I said, there's quite a few marks on there which were clearly just caused by the Remjet not being cleared off. But there are a, a few other just weird marks on the film, inexplicable ones. Um, so a, a visitation from another planet or something like that, is it? <laughs> yeah, it might be. Planet, planet uh, Hollywood, maybe, or something yeah. like that. That might that might well be what's caused it, um, and I'd like to say actually the uh, the guy at um, whose name I can't remember I think it's Richard at uh, Nick and Trick, because um, I did buy some more stuff from them I needed some more film developer and I wanted to buy some more film and he did throw in another roll of 50D as well um, for free just to give me another chance to try it out so um, that was very much appreciated but yeah real mystery with that. Um, on the whole, oh, I see what else I bought whilst I was ordering the film and some Salute. They sell uh, a Remjet remover, which I decided might be a worthwhile investment. So <laughs> I've got, I bought some more of the 250D 
And I've got a couple more rolls of film here already, so I thought it was worth investing in some stuff to actually help get this Remjet off a little more efficiently next time. Um, but both the films are very nice. Uh, the colours are lovely in both of them. Um, I think the 250D really is a cracking film. For that speed of film and the cost of the film, because that's under £5 a roll, so that's substantially cheaper than things like... Um, Portra and the higher end Fuji films, um, and I think the results really are lovely. They're they're fine grained. They've got great color saturation. They they make really nice negatives in a variety of um, situations where I shot them. And the 50D, in the shots that came out okay, and in really nicely lit shots, I think that looks great as well. But yeah, the 250D in particular was a real winner. Um, and if I can get this Remjet more effectively removed next time it's definitely a film i i think i will return to i I, i'm not sure about the 50d um it's low iso films tend to be a bit limiting for me because i i rarely get a chance to blast through them all in one lovely hot sunny day they need to last longer and 50 ISO films quite restricting in that sense but um I mean you've got them in front of you Ed, or at least some of them what do you what's your first impressions of them I think the first thing that came out for me is is the the warmth of the color I mean not uh, sort of unnaturally so but I, I mean I understand that those sorts of your boys yeah are maybe taking sort of sunsetty type times so. yes yeah so that's yeah that's one thing but uh, I mean the, the 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 color is 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 really nice and even the one you took of me indoors in in that cafe in london um you know it doesn't look uh it it, it doesn't look like it's been shot in horrible light and the film has reacted to it badly although the light in there i mean i have no idea what temperature the light would have been but certainly it was nowhere near daylight um so if you've got daylight balanced film there then actually uh you know that's come out very nicely indeed um unless you you've changed the colors on it um and uh, maybe less so maybe less so on me but more so on your boys the skin tones are nice as well <laughs> you know it's uh, uh yeah i'm i'm too old and i don't shave often enough to get a nice skin tone <laughs> on my on, on my photos of me but uh, uh but the you know the it, it's um, yeah i it's quite impressive actually um it's 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 nice to look at and and that for me says a lot i mean you can imagine can't you if you're doing portraits of somebody i mean this is why portrait is so popular as a film isn't it because it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be good for skin tones um you know if there is a uh a a different look uh that is also good on skin tones and you know then then actually um you know I, i yeah i do like it i very much like the one you did of the 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 door as well um, yeah, that almost yeah. looks like a the, the shot itself looks like almost like a film set or something like that. It's it's really uh, really nice. That's some client's house or something, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. funny if it was where I was working today, and it, I mean, it is what it looks like. It's this kind of crazy property in in a fairly um, ramshackle almost kind of setting, and it's yeah, it's a great spot for taking pictures like that. So. Yeah, um, but that comes out. I mean, and, and I'm guessing. It looks like there was there would have been a chunk of daylight in there because it looks like it's got a glass roof. That picture, yeah, above the doorway there. Yes. Um. So, but yeah, but the, again, that sort of the way the light is balanced and the colours are balanced is is really nice. It's um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, even the texture from the the remjet removal adds a little a little <laughs> je ne sais quoi to the uh, to to the pictures. But yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, I uh, especially seeing as that nick and trick. If I remember correctly, what you said many weeks ago is that they'll actually do the development for you, so you can buy it from them, shoot it, and send it back, and not have to worry about all that remjet stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And also there is um, the Cine Still film, which uh, to the best of my understanding is this film, but with the Remjet removed already. Um, and I've not tried shooting that yet, but uh, I've heard good things about it. I think Rob was telling me actually that he has used it. Um, uh, so that might be worth a look into as well. But I really yeah. need to use mine. I've had two rolls of Cine Still in oh. my fridge pretty much since it came out. And and I have no idea, but for some reason I've never got round to it. It's never been the right film to put in the camera on the day. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It, it, it doesn't seem to get um, a lot of attention. Uh, maybe it's just the people that we follow and talk to, but not a lot of people seem to be talking about it and using it, which for a fairly new film out... And available is unusual because one of them is really fast as well, isn't it? Is it an 800 ISO film? This, yeah, yeah, that was the one they came out with originally, I think, because I thought that's what I've got. Um, because uh, it's uh, and I think it's the one I've got is an indoor one as well. Mm. So the idea is you put your 800 film tungsten balanced, and that might be why I've never used it because it's tungsten balanced and I've just never had the right opportunity to, to go do that. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but I, I'll I'll do it one day, um, <laughs> and uh, I'll get around to doing it one day. Maybe I'll try and shoot it this Christmas. Although I'm sure I've said that at least one Christmas in the past and not <laughs> used it and gone for well, Delta thirty two hundred or something instead. So uh, uh, this is the Christmas to use it. Then for sure, this is the Christmas to use it. And you can always chuck a filter on there to daylight balance it anyway. So if you want to take it outside, you, know, you can show a filter. Yeah, on that's outside. a good idea, isn't it? I'll put it. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll go out and buy a filter so I can use the wrong kind of film properly. Actually, <laughs> Aid, you're an analog photographer. This is what we do. We we buy pointless stuff to prop up the other pointless purchases we made. Okay, you know that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And we'll come on to that a bit more in a bit when I talk about lenses. I guess. Uh, so okay so the other thing while we're in um, updates from Graham mode is I understand you've been uh, doing a little bit of prep for the personal projects we were talking about a couple of weeks ago yeah well you know, we were talking about what camera to go for and I've been thinking about this more since then and whether to go for an SLR or whether to go for a TLR or what to use and um, I was tidying at my house earlier in the week uh, because uh, I had a house inspection and it looked like a bomb had gone off in it. And I was moving stuff around and I picked up a lens that I haven't thought about actually since pretty much before we or just about when we first started recording. And this is a, a Yashica 50mm lens that I um, removed one of the elements of. And I, oh, that could be the solution. One of the lenses where I've strategically removed one of the elements because that obviously messes it up completely and gives it quite an unusual look so that could work so to, um, to recap for the listeners your your idea is to take uh, photos without wearing your glasses or take photos that are um, out of focus in some way yeah the, the, what i want i'm very short-sighted um and so what i want to do is to take photos that represent the way that I see the world without my glasses and for myself to see if the things that I want to take pictures of change 
when I've not got my glasses on, because obviously I'm not going to be seeing any detail. It's all going to be the much broader strokes. So, um, yeah, that's the underlying idea. It might be a terrible idea, as we might discover, but um, that's the thought process at the moment. So I've got this um, Yashica lens, and it's an old M42 lens. Okay, now I just need to pick a camera to go with it. And I've got a few uh, M42 mount cameras, and I decided to take it out i think it was with the camera it actually came with um which is a zenit 12 xp um what's one of those so i mean a zenit well if you have you ever seen any of the zenit cameras uh Zen- well yeah they do i mean they they've done slrs haven't they and i think yes. have they done range finders as well um there, there are other yeah other related range but the, the slrs are the zenits in particular and if you've seen one zenit slr essentially you've seen them all because the model changed very minimally over a 30 or 40 year period so the zenit 12 which i'm guessing probably was a late 80s maybe even the 90s model is basically the same shape as it was when it first came out in the 60s or uh, early 70s um but with a light meter i have no idea whether the light meter works anyway i thought okay i'm going to give this a try um and I've used quite a few Russian cameras in the past, and I've used a couple of Zenits in the past, and I have had un- unflattering things to say about them. Um, and this is going to continue this streak because <laughs> what a piece of garbage this is already. Um, it's heavy as a brick. That's what you expect. Um, it's shutter speed. Maximum shutter speed is 500, 1 500th. So that's, that's not impressive for a camera that, as I said, came out at least in the 80s. It's definitely not a 70s camera. The, the 12XP, I think, might actually be sort of last of the line for these guys. Um, the controls are okay, very clunky. What really marks it out is the whole viewfinder and viewfinder experience. I have, I'm holding it up to my eye now. I have never looked through such an atrocious viewfinder on an slr <laughs> it's incredibly vignetted as you look through it um this particular one has just got a streak of glue or plastic or some well glue i would imagine right down the middle nice. i don't know whether it's, i don't know if it's on the lens or on the focusing glass uh, or not on the lens or on the mirror or on the focusing glass or what it's on but it's just there right in the middle um and the other thing is that because it's made of cast iron and um, sharp edges when you put it up to your eye you're going to poke yourself in the face and hurt yourself Um, (laughs) or at least scratch your glasses well yeah very much scratch your glasses the uh the hot shoe is perfect for that and even the thumb winder is perfectly positioned and angular enough to just jab you in the cheek so it's a delightful shooting experience i'm glad that i've tested it out I will not be using this when it comes to it. I will definitely choose a different 42 um, M42 mount camera. But oh, they, it's amazing that a camera whose lifespan, whose like basic design lasted for so long, is just such a bad design. Because, <laughs> because normally the, the, the classics of design persist and the, the, the bad designs go away. But nope. This this terrible tank is just as bad. It, actually, this might be functionally the worst Zenit I have used to date, and that's saying something. And I have yet to see what it does to the film, because normally they are a 
clunky to shoot with and then the real treat coming comes with seeing how badly they've handled the film this is unpleasant to shoot with and i also get to look forward to what it's done to the film later so hmm. yeah good times okay oh it's that yeah you make it sound like such fun but what about the lens is the lens going to be the one for your project well I don't know that that we'll have to wait and see when the film comes out. Oh, I suppose um, so. Yeah, yeah. Because as we talked about before, when shooting with a thirty-five millimeter SLR without my glasses, it's all just a blur. So I have no idea how that blur is going to look. Um, but I never tried this lens with a thirty-five millimeter camera. I just tried it a bit with my Fuji, my digital camera, back in May, I think it was, and the results were interesting. And it 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 could the you know, the look it got could work with this it could kind of do what i want it to so um the only thing that might be against it is it's at 50 millimeters actually and now my brain's just kicking to you i remember now although it's a 50 millimeter lens by taking out that element that changed the focal length of it so now it feels much more like a 75 millimeter lens when you're looking through it and that that's too to um, longer focal length because what I found whilst I was walking around today, because I just went for a walk around this garden uh, without my glasses to take some pictures and it's definitely bigger picture stuff because you're not taking any of the detail, you're looking at these broader sweeps of stuff, so I think I'm going to need a wider lens than this is um, That kind of you know, makes sense, yeah Yeah, but it's been a good test and I, and I think the um, the lens hacking approach is what I'm going to go with. So I've got the 28 millimeter lens that I used back in the summer um, when we, I think on episode two, we were talking about when we shot some bluebells with it. Um, that might be my go-to for this. But uh, yeah, I, I think my I'm home, sort of homing in on what the project's actually going to be and what I'm going to use for it. But today's experiment was a, well, not this. <laughs> well, you know, that's good. You're qualifying stuff out and then you won't make uh, you know, mistakes downstream, will you? Um, yeah. you've, you've certainly done more prep for your project than I've done for mine. So uh, um, I, I've got to, uh, uh, got to get back online with that and uh, uh, oh, and start you, working mean, things through. Or have you, well, um, the good thing about yours in a way is that really all you need to have in place to get started is the first person it is yes so if i'm going to do a if i'm going to do a a portrait project where everybody i take their photo they introduce me to the next subject uh then yes technically speaking all i need is one person and and uh you know so i i need to uh it should be an easy one to start and who knows where it will take me after that. Uh, but then again, I've also been thinking about, you know, well, you know, what camera would I use? What film do I use? Do I want to use the same film and camera for every subject? Uh, because mm. that then gives you a, a body of work with a certain look and feel to it. Or would I like to be uh, not so much, you know, more flexible, but but an ability, but have the option of, uh, of a few choices so that I could make the best of the subject at hand, as it were. Yeah. So, so if I find myself, you know, in 
uh, a place you know on my first sh- my first shoot and I thought oh yeah absolutely this is going to be fantastic I'm going to use some Kodak portrait for this and then I get to the next one and it's pitch black um, uh, and you know I, I can't get anything out of a portrait 160 for example or uh, it's somewhere where the colors are so leery and the backgrounds are so busy I'll never be able to to isolate it and I have to shoot it in black and white you know that sort of thing yeah so so I'm not entirely sure yet I, I like the idea I have to say I like the idea of uh, a single camera and a single lens and a single film that sort of thing but I'm really quite I've been I've been getting out a lot of my lighting kit again the last couple of weeks um, and mostly digital I have to say sadly um, in fact I was even using it yesterday because I happened to see two of my nieces yesterday um, and I realized that um, on my portrait wall in the house we have a sort of family portrait wall uh, in the house and and both of those two nieces uh, their portraits were very old and seeing as they're quite young children it's important to keep them reasonably updated so so I took the kit I took the the uh, digital kit and uh, and a speed light and an umbrella uh, and I took my Bronica because I thought well you know I'll, t- I'll I'll see if I can I can do some Bronica shots as well um, and I, I just didn't get the opportunity there were too many people running around and uh, I couldn't get a space where the Bronica would work uh, whereas the uh, the, the Fuji uh, was a, a bit easier because it's a shorter focal length and uh, it has a, a, fl- a screen you can just flip up and yeah. So I was able to shoot in quite in much tighter quarters with the Fuji uh, than I would have been able to with the Bronica, uh, with all the people running around and what have you. Uh, and then of course that means oh yeah, so if that what does that mean for a project? Because if I choose to use with my Bronica with my 150 mil lens or something, because it's a portrait project, <laughs> um, am I actually going to be able to use that in half the places I find and meet people? Yeah. Um, so, so I think, um, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have some level of stability in it. I think uh, in the project, um, and uh, but I haven't decided quite what yet. Uh, it might well just be, uh, I might go for ease. Uh, with a a thirty five mil setup, um, yeah, yeah, and then a bit more flexible. Uh, but yeah, we'll just have to see. Really, I've got I've got to work it through, and I've got to uh, find the first subject as well. Yeah, well, for something like this, I mean, the the main point of us choosing to do this um, sort of project challenge is that we actually want to see it through, and we actually want to the end product is actually a target in this because we we want to make sure that we have something at the end of it rather than starting something and then letting it dwindle out and for something like this which is as you said last time really going out of your comfort zone i think it's absolutely fine to make everything as easy as possible because the hard part of this for you is going to be the the interacting with the people you know the, the meeting new people and taking the pictures so the more you can do to make the rest of it as easy as possible. So you, yeah, don't put any obstacles in the way of you achieving what you want. Because once you've done this once, once you've got through this six months and you've built up your confidence and you've taken all these pictures, then you can start refining down and paring down. But um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point actually. Thank you. Yeah, that 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 helps. Um, it's uh, I you know I uh, I guess it's it's 
it's easier to focus on on the kit and and uh, you know the look and feel you want than it is to go out and make the first contact and and get the first thing lined up. Uh, so maybe I'm I'm guilty of of hiding behind uh, those kind of choices. Don't know. Um, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting psychological roller coaster for, for this yeah. project for me. And uh, yeah, you know, you know, part of me is really looking forward to it. But well, I mean, I, I, what I like about this is the fact. I mean, and I like this because it's yours is way more difficult than mine. I feel, um, but the fact that we're doing this and we're going to be you know, talking, and we have a start date and we have an end date, um, is that you 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 will need to get out there and do it so you can prevaricate and think about cameras and lenses and all of that. F- fine, up until you have to start and you have to get out and you you know you have to go. Okay even if it's just one shot a month that's your target is to get one shot a month which would be fine if you can get six nice portraits by the end of this project i think that's absolutely great but you have to do it because we'll be going where are they where's where's this thing you know this is what you said you're gonna do where is it so it really helps the rubber meet the road it certainly does you're absolutely right and uh yeah so uh yes i will um Ponder that some more. <laughs> I bet you're really wishing you just stick with your Instax project now, aren't you? No, not really, because I mean, although having said that, my my desk, uh, yeah, sitting here with my computer and my microphone, my desk is littered with Instaxes, and I still think they're amazing. Uh, I, I'm not going to go on one of my you know I love Instax rants. Um, you know, rest assured, listeners, that's not happening today. I'm saving that for next week. But the <laughs> uh, you know it they they are it's a joyful thing to have physical photos just littering the place. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't have to be Instax necessarily, although I do have a, a soft spot for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, save you having to go on. I'm actually going to do this for you this week because, uh, as I said, I went out to see a friend of mine. He had his leaving due on Friday. And um, it was in this lovely restaurant that his wife runs in Oxford. And it's fantastic. We're all having a great time. Big group of people. And he was really excited. He said, oh, for my birthday, I got a new camera. And he had got the same camera that you've got. It's the... Um, Instax Neo 90, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah. Uh, And he loves it. And it was a real opportunity to see that camera in its perfect environment. He was snapping shots of everybody there, and it was great, and it was spontaneous. And everybody loved seeing the print. Everyone wanted to flick through them and see them. And, yeah, I don't think I could imagine a more perfect setting for that camera to be out and about in um it was very much its home territory and yeah just brought a lot of joy joy to the user and to everybody who was enjoying the prints with it as well so it is awesome for that the the printer works in the same way as well i mean maybe not quite as good uh but for that but i've i've given people at parties you know printed in stacks you know and and uh yeah they they just love it yeah. Although the funny thing was that he did um, say, I got a Polaroid for my birthday. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know. Yeah. That I, I've, yeah. I mean, uh, I've seen people posting things on Instagram and Twitter, with, you know, and like saying, yeah, just shot, just shot the new Instax mini monochrome hashtag Polaroid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, it's like, okay. Fuji really should have bought that, um, that, uh, name shouldn't they they should have bought the kodak brand i mean like, they must have the money the kodak brand you mean the polaroid brand i'm oh, sorry the polaroid brand yeah yeah I, I fix it in post date don't make me sound like an idiot <laughs>
What should they have bought again? Uh, they should have bought, bought the Ilford brand. That, that's the one. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> right. And on that slightly confusing note, listeners, we're going to take a, a, a quick break and uh, I've got a plea for your assistance afterwards. It was, might have been earlier this year, I think, uh, when I bought for my Fuji digital camera a super wide lens. Uh, It was, or is it an ultra wide lens? I don't know. Um, It was, uh, or it is, I should say, a Samyang 12mm. Now, the Fuji's, of course, a crop frame, and so in 35mm terms that would be an 18 millimeter lens and I fell in love with it I've never had a lens that wide before and I thought it was fantastic it took me a while to learn to shoot with it because I kept using it to fit loads of stuff in which isn't really the thing you've got to have something right in the foreground with these lenses otherwise it looks like you haven't really got any subject at all Um, but I fell in love with it and I've been wanting something equivalent for film since um more recently uh over the black friday weekend uh i invested in a moment wide lens for my iphone so you heard me talk last week about uh buying some loom loom cube lights which actually a blue can be bluetooth controlled by your phone and can therefore act as off-camera flash uh, I've had the moment tele lens for, for some while, well over a year now, uh, and I thought oh, I'll add the wide, and that gives me an, an 18mm equivalent for the phone. Um, and I'm really looking for one for Nikon. Nikon 35mm, standard F mount. And so, what I'm asking, I guess, is uh, for everybody's help, please. Um, uh, I put a little poll out on Twitter a couple of days ago, actually, and to date we've had ooh, three votes, each for different things, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've sort of got a little, little bit of a list from my research here, and uh, I, I don't know really which way to go with this. Uh, so, um, way back when. Uh, the the first on the list is the uh, Nikon 20mm f2.8. Now this comes in an AFD version, I think it comes in an AIS version. So for people that don't know Nikon, the AFDs were the, really the last of the analogue lenses, uh, their autofocus. Uh, uh, they do work on autofocus on digital cameras as well, but you know they they were the the last really of the uh, the the analog lenses that Nikon produced, and uh, I actually had a twenty mil f two point eight AFD, um, and do you know what? I didn't really get on with it. It didn't seem maybe it was me at the time, uh, but it just didn't seem to do anything for me. I, I don't know, Graham, if you have any lenses that you've got, but you they, you just don't like them very much. You don't like what they're up to or what they achieve for you. Yeah, well, uh, absolutely, I do. Um, I think it is one of those things that it's a bit, it's a bit like food. You 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 kind of you can go through phases, and um, I think you've actually found that your the, the style of shooting has changed for you over the years so the, the that you're now shooting and enjoying wider angles more and more it may just have been that when you were shooting it that that wasn't working for you i mean it, especially for going back in time a bit i think most of us when we're getting started in photography find wide angle lenses harder to get good results from so um 
Yeah, I, I, I can absolutely understand the feeling, but I, I suspect that if it was a while ago, it may just have been your location in your photographic journey more than the lens itself that was the problem. Yeah, it could be. could be. You're right. Um, uh, they... Uh... Uh, which is a shame that I sold it then, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, you I part. I think. Stuff. I think I ended up selling it. Yeah, part exchanging it for something else that was good and that I did use. So at the time, it was a good decision to make. So there's yeah. that. They, they also uh, I mentioned the Nikon AIS. AIS was uh, the uh, the the family of Nikon lenses uh, that are all manual focus, uh, as I understand it. But they did have the ability to transmit. Uh, exposure information so you could use them in aperture priority mm-hmm. um, and they do a 20 mil one of those as well um, but uh, I think I'd like to go a little bit wider so the second on my list is the Samyang 16 mil so I love my Samyang 12 mil for yeah. Fuji the 16 mil would be even a little bit wider still because it's for a full frame camera but that's had yeah. pretty varied reports so if there's anybody listening who's actually used one of those a Samyang 16 millimeter lens for full frame 35 mil yeah uh, whether it's the nikon version or another version because they do them for various different mounts uh, i'd be really interested to hear about that yeah uh, my only experience with the samyang stuff is i i grabbed and briefly tried out the eight millimeter lens on my fuji i was at um a wedding and somebody had another fuji there and they had this samyang lens on so i yoked it went just borrowing this um i really liked it uh, I, you know, maybe you ought to put that on the list as well. Go super wide because um, the 8mm fisheye is, I don't know, do they do that for the 30mm Nikon mount? I bet they do. They do, um, they do, but it's not 8mm, I don't think. I think it's maybe a, a 10 or a 12 because it's uh, yeah. just because the, 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 the film is bigger than the, the crop sure. sensors. But that, yeah, they were a lot of fun. I mean, and great value for money as well. Um yeah, they're but kicking you, up around 300, 350 quid for the super wides uh, at the moment, I think. Oh, uh, I really? Think They've they, gone up in price? I think they have. I mean, maybe that partly that's exchange rates. Maybe it's just that oh, they're more yeah. established as a brand now. Uh, you know, I think um, they're not all of them are that much. They, they sort of range from 250 to 350, you know, sort of. But, um, but yeah, how, I mean, worth it, I think. How does that compare with the uh, Nikon prices? Uh, well, that twenty mil AFD I was talking about is about four fifty new or five hundred new, uh, right. so that's quite an expensive, expensive lens. But mm. the, the third one on my list is actually another old Nikon. This time it's a zoom. It's an eighteen to thirty five mil zoom. Uh, it's a um, it's a it's one of the more affordable and compact type zooms. It's not your two point eight all the way through. It's it's an f three point five to four point six. So it's not the fastest lens on the block, although it does uh, come in quite compact because of that. And uh, it does have, I believe, from my reading, it is it has internal zoom and internal focusing as well. Um, so uh, you know it's not going to be. Uh, sucking bits of dust into it all the time um but uh yeah that's one that's got some mixed reviews but is definitely on the on the list and then uh just another brand um i and i found the other day uh on, on a website uh, for a camera shop a voigtlander color scopar if that's the correct pronunciation uh it, was, it turns out voigtlander made a 20 millimeter lens 
for Nikon, uh, this time an f3.5, um, which looked a bit interesting because that was quite tight. You know, a lot of these Voigtlander lenses are really small, aren't they? Yes, uh, and, yeah, and yeah. this one is no exception. So that would be a you know, really nice sort of e- easily pocketable you know, lens. Um, whether or not it's any good, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, the, the Voigtlander lenses have got a very good reputation. Do you mind if I ask how much of that one was? Uh, yeah, so that uh, that this it's second hand. Um, it says it's in pretty good condition, um, and it's three hundred quid. So, bad. so you... the I found two of the Nikon zoom ones, the eighteen to thirty fives. They were uh, um, the lower end was three hundred, um, and then the higher end, uh, which you always expect at Greys of Westminster Nikon specialists in London, uh, they they're charging four hundred quid for one. Um, mm. Although I have found, I do like greys and I have found that generally speaking, they're not ripping you off. So their prices may be higher, but the stuff they sell is, is gorgeous, even, yeah, especially for used stuff. Yeah. And you have somewhere you can go back to if you have a problem. Whereas if you're buying on eBay, um, caveat emptor. Um, well, there is that. Use... So, yeah, the, the cheaper one I found actually was a place called Harrison Cameras. I don't know if you know Harrison Cameras. They're no, not, not a, a shop that I've used before, but they seem to be in Sheffield or something like that. No, not familiar with them. Not familiar with them. No. But, um... but, yeah, so, inter- so interesting thing there. I mean, you know, this is... Uh, this is something that I'm really keen to get um, sort of round out my I say round out yeah I suppose it would do uh, round out my Nikon set my set of Nikon lenses I do have a 35 mil I've got a 50 mil I've got an 85 mil I've got a rubbishy zoom 35 to 105 quite an old one which is very very soft pretty much all the way through <laughs> um, uh, and not great to use um but uh, you know, I've got some cracking Nikon primes, um, and to get uh, a super wide would be great. Although I'm not entirely sure I'd want to go back to that 20 mil Nikon lens. I'm looking for something I think a bit wider to get that real super wide sort of zoomy effect. If you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you mean? Do you think you might find the, the same problem with the Voigtlander then? In that case. So maybe it depends. It depends on how it does it. You know, I think it, it, this is going to sound really odd, but what I've thought is if it's 20 mil and it and it displays some distortion, that might really work. If it's 20 mil and like entirely rectilinear and perfect, <laughs> then <laughs> then that's probably not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a little bit of effect. In I the, think the yeah. Samyang might be your choice. Then. Well, that <laughs> might be too much, mightn't it? That's that's the <laughs> thing. It might just be too much, but yeah, maybe we'll see. Anybody, anyway, if anybody has. Uh, any thoughts on this uh, I'd love to hear about it on Twitter uh, at Sunny16Podcast uh, I, I have got I think it's still live as we record but I suspect it'll have quit, finished as, as we uh, as we publish uh, which is means I'll probably have to do it again uh, a little uh, a tweet with a little poll on it uh, for which of these four things uh, or, or just something else entirely um uh i should use so uh yeah interesting interesting decision to make and uh we'll see where it goes i guess yeah i mean of all the things that i've been tempted to pick up this well actually i've picked up a lot of things i've been tempted to pick up this year obviously but the one lens that i did think oh i quite quite fancy getting that was the um 21 millimeter uh 3.5 lens for the 
Olympus OM series. Um, so I can absolutely understand the appeal of getting a nice wide lens, especially as you've got a, a trip abroad next year, which may benefit some extra wiggle room squeezing mountains and stuff. And so certainly yeah. would, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that that that's definitely uh, something I'm thinking ahead to already as well, even though it's a way off. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, please, please help. Uh, looking forward to hearing from people. Uh, and uh, you know, if anybody has, of course, the other way of doing this is to say if anybody has a favourite super wide lens, regardless of the mount, um, and it's easy to buy uh, bodies for them, then that's another way of doing it too. Of course too of course isn't it buy the lens and then uh, that, that you like and then buy the body to go on the back of it i could just post you the vivitar ultra wide and slim i mean that do the job got compact body <laughs> that's that's the camera you should take with you when you go on holiday next year the ultra wide and slim no it still yeah. sounds like a packet of cigarettes uh, fine <laughs> <laughs> Got to try. Okay, all right. Uh, well, after this quick break, uh, we will be back to talk about our very own awards. Guys, it's that time of the year where we're winding down, we're looking back across the last 12 months, and what a great 12 months it's been. I think we can all agree, 2016, what a winner. It'll go down in history as that. Um, but the thing that always feels a bit like analog photography gets left out in the cold of is that everything else has got their awards shows coming up you've got the oscars and you've got all the awards of best camera of the year and all of this stuff and analog photography just misses out on all that stuff and we felt that this is a wrong that we should write so we're introducing the sunnies um the mm-hmm. uh, patent pending the sunnies 2016 and this is going to be our awards and by our awards i don't just mean my nate's awards i mean our community if you are within the listening range of this podcast and i pray that you are otherwise you've got some unfortunate um hearing condition that's making you tune um we want you to get involved too so what we've done Aid and I have um, sat down, spent hours really thinking about this, as we do for everything in this podcast. Absolutely. We've, we've come up with the um, our first five categories for this year. Or I say our, our five categories are going to be the first ones for this first year of the Sunnies. Um, and we would really love it if you would get involved and vote or share what you feel should be the winners for this we'll go through how we're going to do that at the end but um let's let's go through the categories first so aid what's category number one well category number one is film of the year that's quite a nice self-explanatory one really um it can be anything we're not gonna we're not gonna narrow down your choices well we, we probably prefer people voted for photographic film yeah, yeah. Oh, just, just, to be, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I hear Arrival is very good, so I mean, if you want to sling a vote in for that, um, <laughs> it it might be some nice fresh new film you've been shooting. It might be something that Eric's found from 1912. Yeah, whatever it is, get your votes in there. Um, and w- whether it's just something that you've discovered, whether it's a, an old favourite, oh uh, yeah. 
let's see what's going to be the film of the year this year. Maybe it's your new Instax monochrome. Maybe, maybe that'll get some votes. You never know. Daddy, well, you know, it's got to be a contender. It's right up there. I get. I guess we should say it doesn't have to have been a film that's been launched this year. Although, you know, this year more than most actually in recent times we've had new film we've had the instax monochrome uh we've had uh is it the the french company what are they called burger they're, yep. they're 400 black and white uh, there is the uh, japan camera hunter street pan 400 which is i think was launched earlier this year yes so, it was yeah so you know uh, there are new films to vote for but you don't have to vote for a new film it can be whatever you like no. And uh, we are looking to, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. Uh, hopefully we'll learn about all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. Seems like a fairly safe bet, to be honest. Well, that leads us on very nicely, Aid, to category number two, Aid. <laughs> OK, so this is, the, this is about new stuff. Category number two is the new analogue photography thing of the year award. Snappy title. I like it. <laughs> you wait till you hear the next one. <laughs> <laughs> So as Aid was saying, this this has been quite a good year. We've had quite a lot of new analog photography stuff come out. We've had the aforementioned films come out. Um, we've had new cameras this year from Leica and from Lomography. Um, we've had uh, I'm, other you know there have been books, there have been gadgets, there have been doodads. Um, Aid, help me out here. I'm I'm trying to reach. <laughs> I've hit doodads and I'm reaching. What can what can you think of that's come out this year, Aid? Well, I mean, yeah, it was only a few weeks ago. We went to see the William Eggleston exhibition. Uh, so there's a, yeah. and, and that had its own book uh, that came with it. So that's that's a good example of a book. So yeah, it can be it can be books. It can be uh, equipment for for making photographs. It could be uh, it could be props. It could be lighting equipment. You know, I you know I've uh, just bought, uh, as I said last week, so some new lighting equipment that's been launched this year uh, that can be used uh, for analog photography. Uh, is there a favourite light meter you now have that's been launched this year? Uh, whatever it might be, uh, yeah. It, you know, if it's if it's an analog photography thing and it was launched this year, uh, then it qualifies. Yeah, my on-do pinhole. That's certainly going to because they, although the Kickstarter was from last year and they're. Um, optimistic show show showing uh words failing the optimistic date for them to get them out was last year but they actually ended up coming out this year so they'd certainly count and uh yes there's there's been a lot of stuff this year and i'm i'm sure there are going to be people who can think of things that we absolutely haven't thought of uh Uh, one would hope so i'd hate to think that we were the most creative people in photography in 2016 (laughs) oh god (laughs) If that's the case, then we need to flush this medium down the toilet. Yes, yes. Okay, well, there you go. That was category number two. And now, Aid, on to category number three. Well, number three is the very catchily named best non-photography thing that you can use for photography of the year. Of the year. We really workshop these a lot. <laughs> well, you know, the focus group reported in and you know, some of them said that these were catchy titles and we went with them. So, hey, this was your idea. Please, could you um illuminate us on what you're thinking of with this one what are you thinking of aid <laughs> well yeah many have asked uh, few have survived the answer the the thing that i'm thinking of here is those little extra bits and bobs that you carry around with you that help you with your photography you know wedding photographers often carry a step ladder so they can get that all important group shot of like 
200 of your best friends at your wedding. You know, stepladder, not really a photography thing, but can you use it for photography? Well, you know, absolutely you can. Um, other people take, you know, a, a standard torch or flashlight around with them. Not really a photography thing, but you can certainly use it. Uh, so it's, it, that's the, that's the, the category, of, you know, the, the description of the category, if you like. You know, there are... Uh, you know, I, I carry little bungee cords around with me sometimes because you never know when you're going to need to to bungee a speed light to a tree or something like that. Um, you know, the, these things that help make the difference between getting a shot and not getting a shot that are not really photography things, but can definitely uh, you know play a part and and earn a place in your in your camera kit. That sounds good. See, I think with this category because it's going to be could be literally anything. This is probably not going to be one that comes down to votes. I think I would. I think everyone should. Um, share their um, what their choice is and that might be a thing that we can then pick the winner from debate what the winner is going to be on that one because I think there's going to be some great stuff in there so um, the chance of two people voting for the same thing seems slim for that stick that's a fair point that's a fair point so category number four aid okay so this is uh, the sunny 16 camera of the year award so I would really love to get some uh, – this may be something that you and I just end up arguing about, but I would love to get our listeners' feedback as to in the six months, uh, seven months, however many months it is that we've been going now, uh, in 2016, what camera ha- represents the the Sunny 16 podcast? Because there's been quite a few recurring characters, um, certainly the Holger uh, that's got to be up in the up in the um, thought process, and definitely the Instax. Maybe it's the panoramic, the panoramic camera. Boy, if ever there was a camera which accurately described, it'd probably be the Vivitar panoramic camera. Will, um, will, will Ronald be campaigning? <laughs> I mean, Ronald. I think Ronald absolutely. He he's got to be up there in in the the running. Um, so uh, yeah, I would really love to get. Does he have a surname that ends in ump? By the way, <laughs> is his surname something like Crump or something like that? So you could have like Ronald Crump for Camera of the Year. I, I he does now. <laughs> he, he absolutely does now. Ronald Crump. <laughs> And I'm going to get a lovely yellow cover for him. Um, I say orange <laughs> cover for him. Um, so, yeah, share with us what you think should be the camera that best... Rep- We're not talking about the best camera. We're just talking about the one which is... It's the Sunny 16 podcast camera of the year. It's the one which we should be choosing uh, as, as our camera of the year. Um And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what people's suggestion with that are. Yeah, and- that'd be interesting. And finally, aid category number five. Well, this one again, we thought long and hard about, uh, and uh, we talked about. We've talked about this a lot, actually, about uh, some of the things that uh, we fear that we might be you know, crossing the line between creativity and having certain approaches to photography as a crutch, or you know, as a as, as something that maybe hides the uh, the the less than adequate photographs we sometimes take uh so category number five is best lomographic ploy of the year yeah i mean i wanted to go with crutch of the year but that idea got <laughs> shot down hard <laughs> well you know yeah it does it it may, it may not travel so well <laughs> but every but uh, everybody knows who lom- lomography are 
Yes. So give us an idea of what kind of things we are thinking of with this. So without prejudice and without judgment, uh, there are there are. Well, yeah, I do. I know you're very judgmental, but (laughs) but without prejudice from my from my side, uh, there are a number of things we've talked about that we think might be a a bit of a crutch in our photography this year. Um, I've talked about Instax. Uh, and you know how just because it's tiny and out of focus then it's it's creative and that's not necessarily true is it uh, you've talked about red scale film uh, and you weren't quite you weren't quite settled when you were using the red scale film earlier this year uh, you weren't quite convinced even even in your own mind that it was creative or or crutch uh, so those, yeah, there's there's two good examples there. Um, you could argue that uh, you know actually using Lomography type camera, you know toy plastic cameras, the Holger that I use, you know is that is is that a, a Lomographic ploy that disguises the inadequacy of my photos? Don't know. Actually, probably not for me to decide. Probably best for other people to decide. <laughs> but that's what we're after. We are after uh, nominations uh, for uh, Lomographic approaches lomographic ploys uh, that can uh, be used to hide uh, inadequate photos if you like it's the analog equivalent of instagram filter of the year award yeah absolutely well, we want to see see some good suggestions and see some arguments for either in favor or against them i mean you know we, we all know what eric's crutch looks like uh, by which <laughs> excuse I mean, you me expired <laughs> film sorry <laughs> let me just clarify that yeah apologies eric (laughs) so the way we plan to um get your feedback on this because we're notoriously terrible at gaining information from people but the way we plan to do it is going to be primarily through instagram because that's just the easiest way to do it um although uh, aid might also be able to make some twitter voting things happen as well so we'll see what happens with that um but what we will do is uh we will put up posts specifically for these things so there will be a film of the year post going up we might do it more than once for each one um and within that just leave a comment saying this is my choice and if you want to put why it's your choice even better that would be fantastic and i might try and persuade some of our um analog instagram chums to also share this around as well so we can get as many people looking at it as possible um but yeah, just look for the posts on Instagram and in the comments, share your feelings and uh, hopefully we'll get plenty of people involved um, because, yeah, why why shouldn't analog photography have its moment of glamour and glory? We can all get dressed up. Uh, Aid can wear a smart tuxedo. I can get a lovely ball gown. It's going to be a glamorous <laughs> evening of glitz and sparkle and we deserve that. Uh, as the film photography community. It's long overdue. I think you're right, and I think it'd be a good occasion to break out the really nice whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'll get my fancy vodka. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, the the, the, uh, the fudge truffle delight. <laughs> oh, and drank all of that, unfortunately. <laughs> Right, well, it's that time of the week again uh, where we like to shout at people and uh, let them know that we're looking over their shoulders when uh, they're unsuspecting. So, uh, Graham, you're off first today. What you got? 
The first thing I want to mention is something I was meant to mention two weeks ago and then one week ago and keep forgetting and uh, I've remembered this time. This is a Kickstarter project for the F slash D book of pinhole. Um, and this is a book which is showcasing, uh, I think, 99 images from pinhole photographers worldwide. Um, they're beautiful pictures. It looks like a really high quality and the reason that this was drawn to my attention was because our very own Corey Cannon has got one of his pictures um, featured in the book. Um, it looks like a fantastic book. If you, I love photography books. Um, it is, I'd say it is the up there with cameras for the thing that my partner is most concerned about when we finally live together is the number of photography books that I've got. Um, you cannot be a lovely coffee table book and that's what this is. Um, so check it out as it's the F slash D book of pinhole. It's still got 27 days to go on the Kickstarter and it's already reached its funding goal, which is fantastic news. So it's definitely going to happen. Um, but yeah, highly recommend it. Uh, I have to, I looked at it myself. I, the book is very reasonably priced. Getting it shipped to the UK is as expensive as the book itself. I think I may just be supporting it without a reward on this occasion. Um, but uh, it looks fantastic. Yeah, huge range of photographers from all over the world. Colour, black and white, all sorts of different stuff. All sorts of amazing pinhole images. So please check that out. Good stuff. Uh, I am just looking at it right now, actually. And, uh, yeah, I, I have yet to support it, but I, I think I shall be doing that uh, forthwith. Next on the list is Chris Gillick. We talk about Chris pretty much every week, thanking him for hosting the pixelatedphotographer.com website and for being the graphic designer behind our podcast logo. Uh, he's also been a guest on our show and he had the decency to uh, choose me as the winner of round one of the Cheap Shots Challenge. Deeply flawed on his behalf. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Remains to be seen. The reason for shouting out to him today, though, as well as all of those things, uh, is that he has been in the studio and he's recorded a podcast. Now, some of you who've been with us for a while might uh, remember that Chris has a podcast called Pixelated Photographer. But it's been off the airwaves for ooh, good 18 months, really. And it's probably a couple of years since that it's been produced regularly. So we're really excited about this, aren't we, Graham? I really am because Chris is a fantastic podcast host. I have been listening to him for donkey's years at this point because before he hosted the photography podcast, he hosted a long-running video games podcast. Um, and, yeah, he's just great. He's an engaging, wonderful host, and it's great to hear that he's going to be back. Um, assuming that this is going to be a podcast that's going to be out every week, regular as clockwork. Um, <laughs> no but, pressure God, then, Chris. Yes. <laughs> probably not going to happen, but you know, I'll, I'll take one a month. That will be fine. Um, his guest is Colin from Tech Noir Photography, who I am very interested to hear what he's got to say because he does lots of really interesting um, portrait shoots and very stylish stuff. So uh, it should be a very interesting guest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, certainly. And uh, it'd be great to hear his voice again. I mean, he was the man that gave me my start in this industry. The very first podcast I ever did was, was to be a guest with Chris. So, um, yeah, looking forward to hearing more from him. Right, on to now uh, a new member uh, of our Flickr group. So somebody posting for the first time. This is uh, Ken Hindle May. And I, I believe, Graham, you know his... Uh, his nom de plumes elsewhere in the internet. 
Absolutely. This is at the Rutland Flyer on Instagram, whose work I have been enjoying for many a long month now. He's um, just always sharing great parts of, I think, mostly of his um, hometown around Sheffield and other urban areas. And he just has an eye for um, very sort of mundane and almost semi-derelict spots that just have a kind of graphical beauty all of their own. Uh, I, I love his stuff. And he shoots with a variety of cameras and films, um, lots of, of uh, easy-to-handle, not easy-to-handle, but you know, point-and-shoot cameras, things like the Sheikah T3s and stuff like that, and Olympus um, Muse and, yeah. He, I, I love his stuff, and he's also, um, you know, had conversations with him before now about things like the red scale film and stuff like that. He's a he's a great guy, and I love the stuff he's shared on Flickr at the moment. Um, I think they're Holger shots, aren't they? That he's put up on there now. Uh, yeah, they are pretty much yes. And they have quite a distinctive look to them. Um, the, the subject matter is, uh, as I was mentioning, it's, it's a lot of his urban work, um, but. Owing to uh, a public failure, as it's termed, they have quite a unique cast to them. But yeah, I, I really like Ken's stuff um, because it just goes to show that no matter where you live, if you've got an eye, you're going to find interesting stuff to take pictures of. Uh, it sort of reminds me a lot of the stuff that Bill Owens is shooting over in Syracuse and, and surrounding areas. Um, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, it's good. And uh, there's a couple of other uh, mentions to people who've posted in the last day or two uh, to the Flickr stream, uh, one of which actually proves that we have a real listener who listens to the podcast and, and weirdly, uh, acts on our suggestions. So uh, this, of course, is Maddie Owens. And uh, we talked last week uh, and uh, when Spencer was on the show uh, about her picture of Eli the Chicken. Uh, which was one of her entries for the Cheap Shots Challenge. Uh, Maddie's posted that photo again uh, this week, but uh, she's edited it. So one of Spencer's comments was that actually uh, it would be nice to sort of draw the subject, uh, Eli himself, uh, out out of the background a little bit. And and that's exactly what Maddie's done. Yeah, looks great. I I just love what uh, Maddie has written on these. (laughs) Unlike my father, I can't pictures. Yeah, yeah. Take a note, Bill. Um, <laughs> although, <laughs> in fact, Bill has got a couple of awesome pictures in the Flickr group this month, and, and I saw this one um, on Instagram earlier in the week. This is what I like about the Flickr group: is that the pictures that I see small on my phone on Instagram, I can see embiggened on my nice big monitor. And Bill's got this sprocket hole panorama of Clinton Square, which uh, I have no idea where Clinton Square is, but I'm going to guess Syracuse. So it's this super wide shot because it's a panorama. So he used a six by nine, is it six by nine? Yes, six by nine folding camera with 35 millimeter filming. So you can imagine how, how much of the negative is being taken up by that. And he chose a great um, location to take this picture because it's an ice rink and there's a Christmas tree in the back and it's just the scope really works well and it's just it looks nice and festive and yeah I really like that I also like the other two Bill's got on this month he's got a couple of really strong striking images um, taken on his Olympus pen um, it's a, a diptych uh, so it's these two shots side by side of these sort of nice glassy buildings and yeah really strong pictures really like those so awesome stuff 
It is indeed. Yeah, thank, thanks, Bill. Okay, so now we've got the last one. And I have to yeah. say, this gentleman has by far the best hair of anybody that's ever posted to our Flickr group. Yeah, I, I, love, I love this selfie so much. It is so. So, like, uh, shout out here to Alex Ward, who has posted uh, a photograph of himself. Either that, or it's a, a photograph of some sort of clothes model from a magazine. Uh, not entirely sure what, but uh, yeah, love it. Loving the the, the polar necker and the, and the wavy hair uh, look there, Alex. Um, uh, if only. Well, actually, uh, are there any photos of you on the internet? There's certainly some of me, Graham, and one that you took of me the other day, uh, actually. And uh, yeah. Um, I couldn't claim to uh, to be able to produce the work like that. <laughs> no, I mean, in this, it looks so Alex has just dropped in to leave behind a box of um, chocolates before dashing out the window and jumping into a sports car and driving <laughs> off. It looks far too glamorous to be out shooting photography. Yes, absolutely. That's a yes. So, no, but some great photos. And uh, thanks, folks, for continuing to share uh, in the Flickr group. Now, that, I think, brings us to the end of this week's show uh as always you can find us uh on instagram and twitter and Flickr at sunny 16 podcast uh email us sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com and thank you uh thank you to bill for the show notes uh which i'm guessing might be a slightly harder thing for bill to come up with this week uh given that graham's just been insulting him and <laughs> <laughs> you managed to cut that out of last week's show, didn't you? <laughs> well, you know, there's only so much editing I can do. <laughs> and, of course, the music we use every week, uh, Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, shared under a Creative Commons licence. Can I just, sorry, very quickly, I just want to throw in here when we're talking about our fees. Um, anybody who hasn't visited our Instagram feed lately, please do check it back out because Spence has been doing great job on there the last week curating the feed and in particular he's been sharing his 10 rules of photography um as, as his always 10 thoughts on photography and it's well worth a look i think we're up to number five now so by the time this podcast comes out it'll probably all be up there but yeah thank you very much spence you've done an awesome job up there and it's really appreciated the pictures and the thoughts are great yeah absolutely i would totally echo that and on that good news message uh i will say goodbye and we'll speak to you next week bye 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 he really does it's it's all because the lady loves milk tray with that picture isn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is indeed it is indeed is uh, a marvelous photo a marvelous photo <laughs> <laughs>